That's the podcast listeners. Thank you for coming back here. Episode number 19 of the podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Draftneck Mark, Mark Luino, here with James Schiano. Jeter had no range, talking about the New York Mets. And we kind of have a series to go over here against the Atlanta Braves. We got one game. We got one win. I think we're going to be calling that a sweep, if I'm correct. Right, James? Yeah, that was a sweep. We swept the Braves. The Mets swept the Braves. Mets swept the Braves with a AAA lineup, which is fantastic to say because we love to just bury the Braves at any chance we can. But of course, before we do get going into all the minutia and everything that we like to talk about with the New York Mets this past game, uh, make sure you guys are following us on Instagram and Twitter, MetsUp. Super easy to find us. You can listen to us on YouTube. Watch us there as well. Just search the Mets Up Podcast. And if you want to listen to us, which you probably already are, but hey, let's throw it out there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you got a podcast, you can find us. So yeah, James, let's just let's just talk about it. We got a, a one game to talk about, yeah. <laughs> but it was an eventful one because the New York Mets, I believe, scored a season high 13 runs. And we are now officially in the green for run differential on the season, which is, I think that's like the first of the entire season. I love it. Let's go. Definitely the first since that Chicago series where we got kind of fucked up. But yeah, that was pure demolition yesterday. It kind of felt like a full sweep because the Mets scored 13 runs, which this season is basically a week's worth of runs. So yeah, we swept the Braves. Swept the Braves and it got started off. We got some solid pitching. We did really well there. We got a lot of guys coming in, hitting Taiwan, Mm -hmm. our day man though. Just gave us a shot again, and he was really good. He's fantastic. He's been great. Dude, he gave us way more than a shot. Taiwan came back after two weeks, not two about to, actually about exactly two weeks on the injured list, and looked just sharp as all hell. It was one of his best starts of the entire season. It was bittersweet that he only went for, I think it was five or six innings, whatever it was. Yeah, I think he went five because they were definitely keeping him on the pitch limit, and that was like a big what to do when he did technically come out at the time. Yeah, it was an 80-pitch limit, which... I get that. You want to keep him to 80. First game back. Hasn't pitched in two weeks. Didn't even make a rehab assignment. I'm pretty positive. But the biggest thing about Taiwan yesterday was his velocity was all the way back. We kind of talked about it for a couple starts in a row as he was pitching through early May when he was still effective, but the velocity had ducked down from the levels that had us excited in April. But he was right back yesterday, topped out 96.8 miles an hour on the four-seam fastball, his third fastest pitch of the entire year, which is that's freaking awesome, all the Love way it. back. Average 94, oh, basically 94 and a half on it, which is right where you want to be. That fastball got 41% whiff rate, which if you keep that velo there, you're going to be missing bats, especially as good as Taiwan's command is. So it was great to see that. He did focus on that fastball, which I guess was a feel thing, just because he hasn't pitched in two weeks. Between the four-seamer and the sinker, it made up 59% of his pitches, which if you're effective and you're getting 40, over 40% whiffs on the four-seamer, I'll have that every day of the week. I'll take that right to the bank. Off speeds he was working with were the slider and the splitter. He used those at 23% and 14% each respectively. That's fine. Mixed them in. Kept everyone honest. Slider got three whiffs on seven swings, 43%. Splitter got two whiffs on five swings, 40%. The guy just had it all going on. Yeah, and the Braves, you know, were coming in hot this series too. This was a team that was scoring a lot of runs. We mentioned in our last episode when we previewed the series, like, this is a hot Braves team who's coming in probably playing the best baseball of the season. And while it was one game, Taiwan Walker coming off the IL shut him down. It was fantastic yeah. to see that we need Taiwan, as we've said many times, to be the bulldog, to go out there and just shove. And that's what he's done all season long. While some of the peripheral numbers are telling you that it might not last as long as it is with the current numbers that he has, we get it. He's not going to be a 1.94 ERA guy for the entire season. But the way that he's pitching has been so, so good, especially for what we paid for him. 
He is way better than advertised. I'm so excited that this guy's a part of the rotation because he's a legitimate piece, especially now knowing Syndergaard's going to take a little bit longer. Carrasco might be probably after the All-Star break, if I'm guessing. They're saying end of June, but really, might as well just... Whatever. Yeah. We're playing right now without Carrasco. We understand that anything we get from Carrasco is house money. But the annoying thing about people talking about Taiwan, his like estimators, like his expected stats, his ex-slug, his ex-woba, his ex-batting average, those stats don't look great right now, but those aren't necessarily predictive. Any expected ball in play is just something that happened. That the, the value of the ball that was put in play, that means nothing about the next ball put in play. Literally nothing. There are bloopers that get a thousand expected batting average just because there's never any defender playing in that spot. And with that launch angle, the amount of time that ball takes to hit the ground, it's impossible for a defender to get there. So don't let anybody tell you that Taiwan Walker is not a good pitcher because yes. of his expected stats and his peripherals. This guy is good. He has it all going right now. And even based on most of those estimators, there's no way that he's worse than like a high threes, low fours pitcher the rest of the way. Which for the money we're paying him and the role he has with this team and the innings he's giving and the stuff he's putting out, that is a win. That is a fat win. I also just feel like his stuff is better than like what people are projecting him to regress to. Like mm -hmm. we're seeing that 95 mile an hour fastball coming from him. That's a legit fastball for a starting pitcher. As we know, that's enough velo and like he has the other pitches to go with it. He has a pretty good arsenal of pitches that we've seen. He'll mix them up as you said, and he yeah, gets swings sure. and misses. So while there were some games this year that are probably playing into those numbers a little bit more, He's just good, and I wanted to ask you this because I'm not sure about this answer myself. Do expected stats take into account shifts? That's a very good question. I don't think that they do, but I'm not positive on that just because there's no way to assume a shift. Okay. Unless the expected batting average takes the expectation of a hit every single play with the defensive alignment included, but that would be like a very advanced system, which I'm sure baseball savant has like the most advanced systems that we see. But that's a good question. We should get back to that and focus on that next episode. But a lot of times also, these predictive pitching stats don't really account as much for guys who mix multiple pitches. Like guys who mix multiple pitches without any of them being elite will always look a little bit worse in the future than the guys who just have a few elite pitches. Like a guy who comes to mind with this is Spencer Turnbull. Yeah. Usually the guys with multiple pitches, but none of them are really top of the line. It's hard to expect a lot out of one of them because it's hard to determine how often each is going to be thrown. But the guy like Taiwan, who mixes at least four with the four-seamer, the sinker, the splitter, and the slider, and then fifth, whenever he's feeling the curveball, you're going to get more guys out because it's much, much harder for a hitter to understand, expect what's coming next. You'll always have guys in their toes, and that's how Taiwan stays ahead of the curve. Which is something that we've seen Strumman do as well this year, is that just keep mm -hmm. mixing up pitches. If you're not going to be a guy like DeGrom who's throwing 100 miles an hour with a 95-mile-an-hour slider or whatever he's got, you've got to be able to mix, mix pitches. The Mets have been doing that, and then just so you can see where my thought process was going with expected stats, I think we even talked about it the other night on text. The way that the Mets' defense has been, like, one, just having Lindor, and two, the fact that they're shifting so much has made yeah. such a huge difference for these pitchers, too. And I don't know if that shows up in those ex expected stats or not, because it really does feel like right now where the Mets are putting guys in the field is they're always in the best spot to make a play. Dude, for sure. And, like, the Mets within one year have gone from one of the bottom five teams in terms of shifts in the league to top five. And that has had a monumental effect on this pitching staff. You see the Mets team FIP and ERA near the top of the league. And if you just watch the Mets games day in and day out, you're noticing balls smoked into gloves on a regular basis. That VR play the other night, I don't even remember if that was yesterday or if that was the last series. That was Rockies, right? What, the one where he dove down the third baseline? Yeah. That was, la that was the last game that we played against the Braves. Yeah. That ball gets down the line. I think there were two outs and a man on first. Austin Riley hit it. Yeah. That ball's down the line. A run probably scores. There's another man scoring position. Our offensive explosion happened after that event. 
the game could look a lot different. Yeah. But just the one step that VR is closer to the line allows him to make a full extension, make that play. It's great. You, there was also a play with Lindor yesterday where he kind of came behind the bag, I think, with a man on first and yeah. went out. Current turned a very nice double play. Even might have been Peraza, I don't recall. But you can just see that the amount of information and data being given to these guys on the field is far more robust than years past. And they actually had a comment about that during, during the game. I think Tom Verducci brought it up, who did a fantastic job. I have to say, him and Adam Amin, I normally yeah. hate national broadcasts. They were by far some of the best guys that we've listened to. They weren't homer. They were fair to both sides. They didn't pick one. And they focused on the game and talked about what was going on in the game, which a yes. lot of times with these national guys, you hear a lot of bullshit like what A-Rod and Vaskersian have to say, or even Smoltz, who just hates baseball. Those guys did a really good job. But yeah, back to what you were saying. You're a fantastic job. And Verducci is a writer. Like He's been a national baseball writer for a very long time. He's pretty corny and kind of difficult to respect at times. You, did you see the video he put out last year during the Hall of Fame vote? Yes. Oh my God, the, my my decision or whatever. It was so cringy. Like He, he has some crazy takes that like he does in like his writing or in his social media. But I feel like last night he did a really good job, like staying focused on what he was talking about and like being the color guy, giving more Definitely. information. Back to what we were talking about originally before the announcing champ, because shout out to Verducci, Verducci and Amon for having a great game. But apparently the Mets this year, as they have beefed up their analytics staff, especially from a defensive perspective and having more guys aware of positioning, they have been bringing those guys with the team on the road rather than just leaving the bulk of them like at their stadium office. So there's more research and development guys traveling with the team in the players' ears, in the coaches' ears about positioning. And it's clearly had a massive impact on our team defense. Yeah, no, the, the defense the defense has been just so good for this team. One of the worst teams defensively in uh, as soon as last year to this year. We're one of the better defensive teams in baseball. Lindor helps a ton because we have a legitimate shortstop who's one of the best fielders in the league at that position. But we are also still playing guys like James McCann at first base. Pete Alonso has improved defensively just because of shifting. Like, it's been so important, and it was always one of my main reasons as to why I said DeGrom truly was so much better than Cole, was if you looked at the shifting numbers even, DeGrom had, like, a tenth of the shifts that Garrett Cole had in the last two years. Like, the guy wasn't even given the best opportunity to get out, and he still did. That's how sick he was, but we could talk about defense and all that all day. You're talking about Garrett Cole, the same guy who just lost to the Tigers? Well, yeah, I mean, listen, I was told the Mets play in the National League East, so it doesn't really matter because if they were in the AL East, they were a fourth-place team. But we'll let's talk about the offense because the offense was the story of this game. Five home runs. Five. We haven't seen it from the guys. Let's give off the names. We got VR, who should have had a grand slam as well, by the way. That ball, like I think 60 of the 100 that were hit have been home runs. But he got a home run. We got McCann on the board, who was smoking the ball yesterday with a home run. We got Lindor, we got Drury, and we got Billy McKinney getting his first Mets home run. Also, Cameron Mabin got a hit. Cameron Mabin got a hit, granted. He didn't hit it hard, but he got a hit. Everything was clicking yesterday for he the Mets. He put it where they weren't. Got, finally got that meme off on the Mets Stub Twitter account. And it got did well. Everyone loved yeah, it. That was pretty funny. A lot of people shouted me out for having a meme in the drafts this time. I couldn't. Uh, couldn't post, so thank you guys for that. But I even have the numbers on that VR long fly ball that Acuna snared. You knew the Mets were going to go off that game because it felt like we were blowing the game open at that spot. Yes. For Ian Anderson to have hit Cameron Mabin and then to walk Taiwan Walker, who showed no inclination to swing the bat. He can't. He's going to get hurt. He will not swing the bat the rest of the year. That's a guarantee. How could you How could you do that as a major league pitcher? A guy who's good, objectively good, Ian Anderson. Yeah, he looked very... 
uncomfortable last night. He just didn't look like he had his stuff. Like even like his like changeup wasn't very good. Like nothing was really clicking for him. Yeah, he never doesn't throw that hard anyway, and he doesn't really have any other great breaking stuff. So when things are a little bit off, it's similar to Nola, but like a much reduced version of it. Yes. When things are a little off for Ian Anderson, he's going to be off, and we got to him. But I have the numbers on that VR long fly ball because it's ridiculous. We've done this a couple times over the course of the year, but just to highlight how ridiculous the new baseball is and just how unlucky certain balls in play are. VR hit that ball at 100.7 miles an hour off the bat with a 25 degree launch angle. Okay. Batters this year on launch angles in between 25 and 26 and balls in play between 100 and 101 miles an hour are 22 for 40. That's a 550 average with eight home runs. Yeah. Maybe the power numbers with that exact metric, those exact metrics are not robust. You still got to get a hit. Most guys get hit on that. More than 50%, you're going straight to, the, straight to Cooperstown with those numbers. Yes. If you pull that back to 2019 and 2020, batters are hitting 721 on similar balls in play. 145 for 201 with 95 home runs. A much higher percentage of balls in play going out of the ballpark than, uh, than this year's baseball. So just once again, Fuck the baseball. Should have been a grand slam, but it really didn't matter because everyone brought their sticks last night. And I got to give my shout out to James McCann. He's waking up a little bit. We talked about it last episode. He was hitting the ball in the air, which was big because we had fly ball counts for James McCann, which I think we can kind of stop now. He's been hitting fly balls, but hit the Mm -hmm. ball in the air. But I also talked about how five of the nine balls he put in play, he barreled up, which prior to that game, I think he had one barrel on the season and it was his home run. So we saw five barrels in a series against the Rockies. He barreled up the ball almost, I think, four times last night. I think he got three. Yeah, mm-hmm. three of them. He was doing some stuff at the plate that makes you go, there he is. We've yeah. been waiting for you, James. Welcome to New York, guy. He was taking it to right center. He was hitting the ball with authority. And he was also just having good at-bats. He lo- It was the first time he looked calm and relaxed and comfortable at the plate. I don't know what it is, maybe playing first base. But it's got his mental state in the spot where he can be successful, and I love seeing it happen. Dude, it was that stupid play with the hat. That play with the hat just, like, released his mind. It got all the pressure away from him. It had him back in a good mood. You even knew he was in the zone yesterday when he hit that dinky ground ball to where the second baseman should have been and rolled right through the hole with Lindor on first and got the hit. Like, that's when a guy's hot. You're going to find hits wherever they are. And he found the hits, like... Three hard hit balls yesterday, like you said, three barrels. We're almost going to have a little bit of a debate now, this week, when Pete comes back, on who's going to be behind the plate most days. Well, Rojas came out, and I think he addressed it today because he still had a press conference even though there was no game. But he said that him and Nito are splitting time when Pete comes back. Pete's the first baseman, but Nito and McCann are going to split time, and he goes, they're both playing better. Of course, Nito's playing the best right now. He goes, but they both weren't playing, and they're both going to. We're going to basically, I think if, let's say, a seven-game week, right, which doesn't happen, but seven games in a week, it's going to be four, one guy, three, the other, however it works out. That's going to have a lot of seven-game weeks, so we're going, to, we're going to be seeing that coming up. Some eight-game weeks, too. But just more of the guys are hitting. Billy McKinney looks pretty good. He is a competent Major League Baseball player. He's another good depth piece. He plays a decent outfield. He seems like he's, you know, pretty good out there. And I like that he's been, you know, pulling and driving the ball. We saw a double against the Rockies. We saw the towering home run last night or two nights ago. He's got a good little bat in him. Like, I don't see him up at the plate like I have with some guys in the past, like a Matt Dendecker or, you know, some of the other Rand, Daryl Siciliani. Like, I go, "Eh, Billy McKinney can swing. I think he's going to get a hit here. He's he's got a nice little swing. I like it. Definitely. I said last episode, former first-round pick. Like, there's talent in those bones. Like, we just got to get it out. He spent a couple months with the Brewers. They are... 
an analytically forward organization. I'm sure they told him some great pointers that he's hopefully taken to Queens with him. Yes. That's good. My guy, Brand Drury, another donger last night. He also looks good. All he does is hit towering home runs. He didn't hit it very far, but he hit it about a mile and a half up in the air. It was crazy. But dude, this baseball, like you get rewarded for hitting the ball higher rather than hitting it straighter. I thought it was kind of funny that Jay Fla came in the game because we have our running joke here where guys don't have real names. They're not real people. Jay Fla is not a real, not a real baseball player. (laughs) Like F L A A. He also just joke. isn't very good, but no. that's besides the fact that he also has not a, a real name. Was it Dutch? Dutch. You know what? I'm going to say like Finnish. Let's go a little crazy. He's a Finn. This sounds like a name that someone would have on like the mad real world. <laughs> like, yo, I'm Jay Fla. I'm Jay Fla, man. And, Is that you short know. for something? <laughs> nah, yeah, like Fla Flame. Like, okay. <laughs> three, three A's, bro. Three A's. <laughs> So nuts. Sean Rifoli came in too, which is important to talk about because he pretty much like got the bulk of the innings after Taiwan came out. He wasn't sharp, but it all came together and it worked. And that's yeah. kind of the story of Sean Rifoli this year is that even when he's not sharp, he still does a pretty good job and we needed him too. You know, we expected to play a few more games in the series, but it was it was helpful that he came in after Taiwan and was able to pretty much shut the door. Yeah, definitely. It was the first time he looked like, I don't want to say mortal because he's looked mortal. He hasn't been like immortal like a DeGrom, but the first time he looked bad all year the Sean Reed Foley that was where everyone was accustomed to seeing possibly Blue Jays fans for the last few years I think it's important to note that he was basically only throwing fastballs this game 86 percent he's been using a lot of sliders and change-ups and all of his other appearances so maybe he just wasn't feeling something could be a reason why he had more walks and strikeouts guys are getting bad in the ball but whatever we were winning by 10 runs at the time doesn't yeah. matter at all I feel like two for him like it was just like let's just get the fastball over they're gonna hit the ball into outs we have a third you know 10 run lead Let's just put balls in play here. Let's get through these innings. Let's not try to overcomplicate it by throwing sliders and all that. It was fine. It was good. And the Mets end up winning, romping the Braves, which you'll love to see. Demolition sweep. And we got reinforcements on the way. We got people coming. Pete, Lugo, and Pilar coming back tomorrow, apparently. I don't know if it's official that they're all going to be back necessarily exactly tomorrow, but you can either expect Monday or Tuesday that all three of those guys, fingers crossed, are going to be back. Let's just start off with Kevin Pilar. How? How is he going to be back? It doesn't make any sense. The guy's that, a freak of nature. He is, he's actually psycho. I think he's a little crazy. I think tomorrow is two weeks to the day of him getting hit in the face. Yes, because Taiwan... Yeah, it was either a Monday or a Tuesday game. So it was game one of that weekday series with the Braves. It could have yeah. been Monday, Tuesday. I'm not positive. But nevertheless, coming back within two weeks from, from breaking your entire face... That's stupid. Silly. He's wearing the Rick, Rip Hamilton mask, apparently, mm-hmm. too, in the outfield. Not at the plate, which is crazy. I feel like he should wear it at the plate. That's where he got hit. He should, he should have more protection in the plate. How many times has Kevin Pillar taken a ball off the face in the outfield? It seems like it serves no protection there. At the plate, he should be wearing one, but I'm not a doctor, so. Pillar runs into the wall, like, once a week anyway. Yeah. He had that brush-up with Conforto's cleat also a couple not weeks ago. Crazy. The guy's just a warrior. And now it kind of makes that text message that he sent to Brian Snicker two weeks ago seem all the more real, that he really would have played the next day if he just could have seen out of his right eye. All, uh, without a doubt. We get Lugo back, which is crazy because this bullpen has been so good, and we didn't even have what was arguably our best reliever coming into the season pitch a single inning yet, and I'm pumped because he's a guy who can give us multiple innings. Granted, he's going to be shut down the next day, but I think that's just kind of where you get the most value out of Lugo is those two-inning situations. Even just coming in for one, he's got like five different pitches. He's got that nasty curveball that's like a wiffle ball. He's sick. He's coming back. This is great. Yeah, definitely. I feel like the Mets are going to kind of model Lugo's usage off of what the Reds have done this year with TJ Anton, where you're you're our non-ninth inning closer. 
the most stressful situation we have at any point in the game that's not the ninth inning, whether it's the third or the eighth, like you're going to come in and we're going to have you pitch until until you can't pitch anymore. Which is almost like Nick Anderson, like what they did in the playoffs with him last year with the race yes. too. There was multiple times against the Yankees. He came in on, in the seventh or eighth because it was the meat of the order. And it's like, you're going to face our best guy. That's Lugo. Game five, he came in, I think in the fourth inning against yeah. the Yankees. He just like, whenever we have stress, you're going to handle it. Which I like because he's shown in the past he's more than capable of doing it. And he can give those, those, you know, those added on innings past one because he is a guy who wants to be a starter, has been a starter. He's going to be able to go a couple innings out of the pen. That's a huge, huge piece for us, especially with how locked down everybody else has been with May. Castro, Familia, Diaz. We have the 7th, 8th, ninth on lock. We got three guys that are locked down. We have a fourth if you want to use it. And now we have Lugo. What the hell? Dude, and it's even more important because we still don't have a fifth starter and it doesn't seem like we're going to have one in the very near future. So just having another guy in that bullpen along with Gazelle and Sean Reed Foley who can give quantity of innings but at a quality of those other late inning guys like he's going to be able to like marry this entire pitching staff together and have us be even better than we've been so far which is crazy because we have the best pitching staff in major league baseball statistically i think we're worse than the padres right now i think the padres might be the only one and the dodgers were better but after these last few games i'm not sure but i know the padres padres pitching has been nuts so you were right the padres do have a lower full team era than the mets but the Mets have the lowest ERA for starting pitchers in the league at 2.78. Better than the Dodgers, I was going to say Dodgers, the Dodgers, (laughs) the Padres, the White Sox, and the Giants. That's the top five. Strong pitching teams this year. Yes, three in one division, which is kind of funny. (laughs) But the Mets are the best out of all of them. Mets are the best starting pitching in baseball. It's probably not getting better anytime soon because of Carrasco and Syndergaard's. I don't know. The fact that they're rushed... I I guess we could say that. They probably were just rushed a little bit. It's going to crush them. But nevertheless, we'll see them at some point this year. And we're the best anyway. And DeGrom missed two weeks in that time. And we're still the best. And so did Taiwan Walker. Yes, Taiwan Walker too. We had games where Joey Lucchese was... We were trying to stretch Joey Lucchese four innings. It's... The fact that we got through this like really, really rough stretch, we're still not out of it because we still are missing key pieces in Conforto, McNeil, Nimmo, J.D. Davis. But the fact that we're coming out of this, you know, Pete... DeGrom, Walker, all those guys being injured coming back, Lugo, Pilar. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're in first place by, what, three and a half games? Either three or three and a half. The Phillies had an inability to play this weekend against the Rays, which the Rays will do that to you. We saw that firsthand. The Rays expose bad teams because yes. they just play baseball where you have to play perfect to try and beat them. Almost everyone's bad compared to the Rays, but I digress. It's going to be interesting to see now the next 24 hours what roster moves we wind up making to facilitate all of these guys coming back, specifically for Seth Lugo, because we need a 40-man spot, which means someone's either going to be DFA'd or Michael Conforto is going to shift to the 60-day IL. It's also weird, too, because we just, I think, added Mason Williams and called him up today, and it seems like he might just go right back down. No, I want to bring that up. I kind of feel bad for the kid because, I say kid, he's 30 years old, older, five years older than me, but... <laughs> Yeah, he got, he got a lot of shine last night because he was going to join the team for today's game. But the Mets were also going to need to clear a 40-man spot for him. And they've already said that he's going to remain on the taxi squad now. for the, Come to Arizona, be in the taxi squad, and then most likely get shuffled right back to Syracuse. I legitimately—oh, uh, you know who it is? Steven Tarpley. Steven Tarpley gets kicked off the 40-man. That's an easy I choice. Guess, but I don't think the Mets want to kick a pitcher off the 40-man. I think we're probably just going to cut Mabin. You think it's going to be Mabin? 
It's either going to be, I think the three guys that are like realistic, it's either going to be Mabin, Mabin, Wilfredo Tovar, or Steven Tarpley. I think those are the three main targets. We kind of still need Tovar because I don't think they really trust Drury in a defensive middle infield role at the at the moment. And they kind of need Tovar for that. I guess that's true. And they're not, I don't think they're going to cut the pitcher. I don't okay. think, I wouldn't mind if they cut the pitcher because we have plenty of, of pitching. And I think Tommy Hunter's due back soon off the 15-day IL. But I just, I don't see them cutting a pitcher right now. Yeah. All right. I can see that. Regardless, Good problems that the Mets are having again. Yeah, We're back problems. in that conversation of good yeah, problems. Back. We're getting good players back. Pete's coming back, which is going to be great, even though he was struggling. But clearly it was with the hand. Like we said, confident that he was like, I need to play through Tampa because that's my hometown. And then I can hit the IL once I'm out of here, which is basically what happened. But now we move on to the Diamondbacks, who are playing some of the worst baseball in all of Major League Baseball. And that's thanks to us starting them off with that sweep. I don't know. Let me take a look right now what they have done. I don't know if they've won since we last played them. They, they won hadn't, today. They won today. Yes. Who they beat? The Cardinals. Oh, best team in baseball. Um, yeah, they were on a 12-game losing streak. They're currently 15 games back in their own division. I thought it was a 13-game losing streak. Then it was 13, even worse. Make it add fuel to the fire. This Diamondbacks team is not good. Is not no. a strong team. We nope. really should comfortably steamroll through them, even with the injuries and the lack of you know talent at some positions. They are just not very good. They don't have Zach Gallen. I don't think either pitching against no. us this series. I don't. Even, he's hurt, right? He might need Tommy. Yeah, he's John. on the IL. There's no telling when he's going to be back. Yeah, he might. He might have to get surgery, which kind of stinks. Their pitching stinks. They're, well, yeah. Well, we have some. I don't even know what the word is. Advantageous matchups this series. We have Jacob Degrom going tomorrow night against Merrill Kelly, who Merrill Kelly is my Diamondback to watch this series, but we'll get to that later. Then we have David Peterson versus Caleb Smith. His return to the rotation. We smack Caleb Smith around. We the Mets are known for demolishing Caleb Smith. I can't wait to get another crack at the rat fuck. We're gonna crush <laughs> him. And then on Wednesday afternoon, little 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 afternoon game, little happy hour game, three forty start Eastern. Marcus Stroman versus Madison Bumgarner. And while Madison Bumgarner owns the Mets, he also is just not nearly the pitcher that he was during that time when he owned the Mets. So I will, in Arizona, happily greet Madison Bumgarner with open arms because balls fly out of there like it's Coors. It's crazy. And Bumgarner's been hot this season. Last three starts, he's come back to earth a little bit. But I kind of have a funny anecdote about why Bumgarner's been better. So when he went to the Diamondbacks, Diamondbacks are a very analytically forward organization, at least pitching-wise, I know. They have a lot of data. Dan Heron works for the team as a pitching coordinator. They were kind of inundating Madison Bumgarner with data before his starts, giving him tons of matchup facts, tons of hot and colds, location, all this stuff, yada, yada, yada. That's why Zach Allen was looking at his card so much when we faced them last time and Bumgarner couldn't stand it and he hated, it, he hated it he hated it he hated it whatever and they kept doing it and this year they were like you know what fuck it whatever they stopped giving Bumgarner the reports instead they'll go immediately to his catcher and give his catcher the complete wind up the game plan everything that he needs he won't tell Madison really anything besides the need to know stuff and he'll just put the glove and Bumgarner will hit it and that's how he's regained a lot of his effectiveness that story comes from Zach Buchanan on The Athletic great article from like three weeks ago really kind of hysterical for all the baseball fans who really know and have watched Bumgarner's career and his growth, it's like, ah, I don't want this data shit. Just put the put, put the finger down. Tell me to hit the glove. I will say that while Madison Bumgarner is probably one of the best you know postseason pitchers of all time that we've seen, a personal anecdote here from when I was at San Francisco Giants spring training. I think I've told you this one, but the viewers might not know it, and it, it'll give you a good laugh. So this was when they were still technically like the Bruce Bochy Giants. So you can imagine you know how bad that team was. And we were in the locker room or in the clubhouse at spring training. And we were waiting for all the players to come in. We had some interviews lined up. And Madison Bumgarner walks in. And it was a very quiet clubhouse. Not a lot of fraternizing in there. There was just, it was very somber. The TVs were on though. 
And the TVs, I, t- I kid you not, were on one. They were on one. You couldn't hear them. There's no way in the world that you knew what was being said on TV. Madison Bumgarner walks in. First thing he does, turns off every single TV in the clubhouse and then leaves. Doesn't even change. Doesn't do anything. Just leaves. The guy is, I don't want to say miserable, but he takes things a little too serious sometimes. And I can completely see him being like, you're going to tell me how to pitch to this guy? Like, fuck you. I'm not listening to that shit. Just another thing to add on to the weird history of Madison Bumgarner. What was the thing where he was riding bulls or a, uh, like they got hurt? Remember he had a different name. I thought it was an ATV. He also dated the woman named Madison Bumgarner, which is funny. Vince Scully also had the story about Madison Bumgarner and his wife out in their field. They, uh, they like found a snake, like cut it open and they found a baby rabbit inside. Well, Madison and his wife, and there's a the 2-1 pitch to Muncie, actually nurtured this baby rabbit, took it into their home, and set it back free into the wild just a few weeks later. He's just, he's just a cartoon character. He always has been. And it'll be fun to watch him against Strowman because they're two guys who really know how to pitch. That'll yeah. be a cool game. Gritty game. And, uh, you know, 340. That's a great start for us out here. I love oh, that in New York. It's an amazing game, yeah. So, series, though, should take a win. We should, we should really be comfortable with these Arizona Dimebacks, especially with how well we're playing. If the offense stays hot like this... Oh, yeah. Also, Lindor hit the home run. We didn't talk about that. That's huge because that was the first time that he really drove the ball. He drove that. He crushed it. It was an effortless swing as a lefty. And I think it's important to note Tom Verducci, again, give him some props here, did a really good job breaking down some of the struggles that Lindor has had this year. They brought up a lot of swings. He was very off balance, which we've mentioned multiple times on this podcast, but he showed, you know, being out on his front knee, the back knee touching the ground because he was so off balance. And what do you know in that game? A lot of balance swings and it it was successful for him. So that's a good thing to keep an eye out for here too, going into Arizona. It's a great place to go hot into because mm-hmm. runs get scored there, especially yep. against this pitching staff. We have the chance to do some damage. Second most altitude of any stadium in Major League Baseball that people forget. They've just started using a humidor too the last few years. So they mm-hmm. like are very well aware trying to combat it and it's just still not really even working. But now we move on here to what I want to talk about here, which is just Mets Twitter and Twitter in general throwing shade at the Mets, but I've seen it specifically amongst Mets fans on Mets Twitter. Guys, it's really okay. We can enjoy the Mets being in first place. We can have some fun. This team was the replacement. Triple A. I know that you've had your entire life of misery watching this team, and that's probably a little bit of your identity is being miserable because we know that there's some guys on Twitter that that is their identity. I'm a miserable Mets fan. But this team, everything went wrong, and we came out in first place. When has that ever happened? The Wilpons are gone. Steve Cohen era is here. What's bad turns into good. What's good turns into great. It's going to be okay. The one thing I will not stand for, though is the slander against the National League East. Now, I have always been. Philadelphia Phillies are a fourth-place team. I've said it from the start. I did not believe in this roster. But everyone else would tell me I was wrong. But now that the Mets are in first, the Phillies are a bad team. Because the Mets are in first, the Braves, who people had as World Series candidates before the season started, oh, they stink. They're bad. Despite not really having any massive injuries that are going on or anything like that, they're bad now all of a sudden. The Marlins, no one cares about them. Nationals definitely stink. But we're being told that this division is terrible. The worst in baseball as if the National League Central doesn't exist. As if the American League Central doesn't exist. And honestly, as if the American League West doesn't exist. That division stinks. It's horrible. The A's being in first place is a joke. That team is not very good this year. But I digress. 
enough of the slander. Mets are in first place. If you're a Mets fan, enjoy it. And if you're everybody else, fuck you. Get mad. You made fun of us for all the years. Now things go wrong and it actually goes right for us. I'm going to rub it in your fucking face. Fuck you. Mets are in first three and a half games. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Braves are being the Dodgers 3-1 the NLCS last year. Just last year. People really forget that. I'm happy you kind of got that off your system. Out of your system, off your chest, if yeah. you will. Can I can I send the listeners out with a with a fun fact? Some, yes. Something that makes me really happy before we say goodbye. Let's end on a positive. Give me something. Our friend Drew Smith, Mister Flow, Drew Flow, as we know him as friends, leads all of baseball in swing strike percentage. Wow. Yes, tied with Mister Josh Hader at twenty three point nine percent. Josh Hader sick. Ahead of Degrom and Liam Hendricks. That's the top four. Drew Smith is numero uno, going into play on Monday. Swing strike percentage. Drew Flo, king of the bullpen. That's disgusting. You just named two of the best closers in baseball, arguably, and you also named the best pitcher in baseball in Jacob yes. deGrom. Also crazy that Jacob deGrom's in the same category as relievers, which is mm-hmm. nuts because of, of course, sample size. But, oh man, Drew Flo, man. <sighs> He's pretty good. He's pretty good. One game, you didn't think I was going to get a Drew Smith reference this podcast, but I did it. I found it. We found it. We got it. Drew Flo is our boy. Hopefully, he'll be on this podcast at some point. You know, off-season. Off-season, we'll talk to him. After he has a great year, everybody's hyping him up. We'll talk to him. We'll get him on here. But that's a perfect way to end episode number 19 of the Mets Up podcast. A short one, but we literally only had one game and still found a way to talk for about 30 minutes on it because we are just way too obsessed with the Mets. But that's why you come here. You come to the Mets Up podcast to listen and talk about the New York Mets. Thank you guys so much for listening. You know where to check us out. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. Watch us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MetsedUp. James Shiano at Jeter Had No Range. Me, Mark Luino, Giraffe Neck Mark. Thank you guys for listening to episode number 19, and we'll catch you after the Arizona Diamondback series. Peace out. Thanks for listening.